You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Let me jump back into the series. If you're a guest here, let me kind of tell you what we do. In the month of August every year, we spend a little bit of time, like a few weeks, laying the framework for everything that's about to ha- happen. And we, we lay the framework with, with some of our essentials, like some of our big values. Um, last week, one of them that we talked about as community is our design. Like, we want everybody to get in a group. Um, you know, it, it helps strangers in the hallway become acquaintances in the rows. Like, you kind of know each other, but you get in a group. They're friends in groups. Uh, there are still opportunities for you guys to try a group. Um, I'm, t- I'm in a group. I'm in two groups, actually. Um, last week, we laid the framework, and we said, like, in every relationship, the reason we need groups, you think about this. There are things that I know and you know. That's surface-level stuff. There are things that I know that you don't know. That's my secrets. There are things that you guys know that, that I don't know, and that is, like, everybody's got a blind spot. And there are things that I don't know and you don't know, but when we get together in a group— like, there's something beautiful happens. Like, like we, we, we take off our masks, we, we start to unfold and, and, and be honest with each other and help each other through some difficult stories. Um, so, so that's what a group, group life is about. But today I'm going to talk about serving. Uh, we say here all the time that serving is an absolute privilege at this church. Uh, to lay the framework, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself systematically telling God, No. Like, God wants you to do something, He's nudged you to do something, it's pretty clear, you've systematically or perhaps even creatively said no. Um, You're thinking like, what what would the kids think? What would my friends think? I'd have to change a major, I'd have to change a job, I I would have to to go to a church, like, 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 what would people think? And you find a way to tell God no. Uh, Some of the reasons that we give often are, um, number one, I'm not prepared. Like, I'm really not ready today. Some of you will say this, like, on this opportunity to serve tonight, I'm just not ready. I need a little bit more time. Some would say, I don't have a skill set. And um, you camp out on that issue, that, like, you can't meet the need. Well, you're going to find out you've got the skill set. Some of you will say, you don't know the Bible well. You don't have to know the Bible well for some of these areas to serve. Some of you would say, well, my past mistakes. And something in your life right now or years ago, is haunting you. Um, And you're content thinking, well, I'm thankful he's using others, but I'm doubtful he wants to use me. I've been there. I think we all go through these seasons. Seasons where we feel like it's a full-time job for God to forgive me, let alone still use me. Some in this room, it's not just past mistakes. Some of this room, you're just too comfy. Like I say this quite a bit, but on accident, perhaps you've let the chair that you're sitting in become a recliner here. It's easy over time for us to think, well, it's my seat, it's, it's my parking spot, you know, it's my, my service, and then I, I come and I go. Some have developed a routine of this place being about yourself. Serving's a privilege because it reminds us it's about others. Some of this room, you might even say that you're too old. After all, I'm older now than I've ever been before. Well, me too. That's all of us, right? Now, I, I, I casually throw out all those excuses because every one of those is going to show up today in the character that we're going to study. Um, today, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open them to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at Moses. Now, I want you to remember this. When this story takes place, he's 80 years old. So, for those of you that say, too old. Uh, think about this. 
Um, now, I want to catch you up real quick on his story just to let you know what's happened. Um, as a kid, trajectory was good for this guy. Um, when we read him in the story today, it's not so good. Let me tell you what happens between uh, the age of his birth and the 80. Uh, he's born by godly parents, raised in a godly home. Um, they were Jews that were held in captivity in Egypt, and Pharaoh wanted all the boys destroyed. And so the parents, in faith, put Moses in this basket, pushed him down the Nile River. The princess, Pharaoh's daughter, sees him. She adopts him, brings him in the home. So God has this way of raising him. Think about this. He's now got a, an influential family that's raising him. Uh, he's going to get a great education. He's got wealth. You would think that, oh, this is off to a good start, godly parents, and now this, all this is going to come together real good. Well, one day God speaks, literally, we'll talk about this in a little bit. God speaks to Moses and tells him that he's going to do something special, and he's going to use Moses to release Israel from Egypt. Well, Moses, because he's young, at this time he's 40 years old, he gets aggressive. Well, one day he sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave. Moses steps in, fights the guy, kills him, tries to bury him in the sand. People see him burying him, and word travels, and so does Moses. Moses is a fugitive. He runs and he hides and he disappears because he's a murderer on the run. Um, now, what happens is he ends up going to this place in the middle of the desert called Midian. He finds a hiding spot there. He's sitting down at a well, meets a girl. She introduces him to her family. Moses ends up working for his father-in-law for the next 40 years in the desert. So um, consider all this. He's hiding, he's running. He's kind of cut things off because of something stupid he did in his past. 40 plus 40 is 80. So he's in the desert for 40 years. His world is sheep, sand, um, his skin is weathered, like dark. Like this guy, all he looks at is just nothing upon nothing, day after day. And this was the person that God wanted to use. But one random day, listen to this, Exodus 3.1, one day. Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law. Now, some of us have a tendency of reading words too quickly. Those two words, one day, it's just another day. Like for all of us in this room, understand God shows up on just another day. Some of you today, maybe you're just visiting the church or you're coming here over and over. You think this is just another day. God has a way of catching our undivided attention on just another day. Like when you sit down at the desk and check the emails, you begin to return phone calls, you're in a meeting. When you're preparing a meal for the family at night, when you're washing the laundry, God has a way of just speaking and showing up. Well, one day, Moses was standing in the flock of his father-in-law. This day, understand what's about to happen. God is going to speak in spite of all his mistakes. In spite of the fact that it's been forever since they've talked. Uh, the, the sun is rising this day, just like every other day for Moses' life. Like, God didn't say, hey, tomorrow's going to be a big day. God didn't say, um, I'm going to give you handwriting in the sky. Hey, tomorrow Bush is going to speak to you. God didn't do any of this. It was just another day in spite of all his mistakes. I want you to think about his mistakes. And I want you to think about our mistakes. First place, he was intense. So he got ahead of God. Anybody in this room ever been there? Like there's a time in your life that, that you feel like God wants you to do something, or you feel like you should do something, and you run too far, too fast, and you get ahead of God, and you've got a mess on your hands. I've been there. We have a tendency of doing it when we're younger. Some of us still do it when we're older. 
So, so Moses ran too far, too fast, and he killed an Egyptian. He's like, look, if this is going to happen, if Israel's going to get free, then, then we got to start here. And he took matters in his own hand. God would never have anyone succeed by choosing to sin. But Moses went too far, too fast because he was intense. Second thing that he did, he was insecure. So what did he do? He decided to retreat. He pulled back. He was embarrassed. Spent 40 years hiding. All of us have done that. Like you're a little bit insecure because of a decision that you made, because of something that's happened. And over time, what you find yourself doing is pulling away from people that love you, pulling away from a local church that loves you. Moses has been pulling away from people for 40 years. So eventually, he just feels inadequate because he keeps resisting. You're going to find out he and God have not been communicating. And keep this in mind, in spite of all of his, all of his junk, in spite of all his past, God still is calling him in the same way he's still calling us. And this is the world that Moses is living in, and God still steps in. Look at verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Now, I'm really not that familiar with deserts and bushes, but when you do research, it's commonplace for a bush in the desert to catch fire. Like Moses had seen bushes catch fire all the time, but what he hadn't seen is a bush catch fire and stay consumed. Like it never burned up. Um, verse 3, though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. It hasn't even crossed Moses' mind that God is up to something. You got to keep in mind, he has not read Exodus 3 yet, right? We have a tendency of thinking that way. It's being written. Verse 4, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses. Moses. Now think about it. He's thinking, how does a bush speak? Let alone, how does it know my name? Unfortunately, like, like when we read stories like this, most of us, if you grew up in church or you're familiar, we're too familiar with the story. We almost yawn at this section of Scripture until we get to Exodus 7 and 8, when we get the story of the plagues. But understand this, God is audibly speaking to Moses from a bush because the Bible hadn't been written yet. Imagine the weight of hearing the voice of God. Now, I want to press in for just a second. Every Sunday, when we read God's Word, God speaks. The same God that, that resonated with the loud, audible voice in the bush is the same God that, as we read, is speaking to you and I today. In light and in spite of our past mistakes, He's still calling us. So every time we read God's word, every time we sing God's word, God, the voice of God speaks. Watch what happens. Here I am, Moses replied. Um, so Moses heard God call his name and he replies, here I am. So far, that's the only thing that God wants. But keep reading. Do not come any closer, closer the Lord warned. I want you to take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. So he slips off his sandals. The sand is hot beneath his feet, but nothing is hot as the fire in front of him. Verse 6, I am the God of your father. We said this last week. He's a relational God. We quoted this. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The Bible is written in a relational context because God is a relational God and God is calling him. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
Why? Think about it. He's a murderer. Think about it. He's on the run. He's hiding. Consider the facts. Like, he's not talked to God in a long time. Perhaps it's been 40 years. I can't help but wonder, is he thinking, oh no, he found me. This is the God that used to speak to me. And God still speaks to him as the story unfolds, and God tells him he still has a plan. The plan is still unfolding. Now imagine this. You're going to see Moses, like us, is set in his ways. He's got all kinds of excuses. It doesn't matter any of those at the beginning. He's just going to unload with them because he's 80 and stubborn. And no one laugh at that because we all get stubborn with age. But watch how stubborn he really is. Verse 7, then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. Moses is like, great, get at it. Lots of luck. You know, I'm proud of you. It's been a while. Like, they've been there for 400 years. But then God says this. Now go. I'm sending you. The you that's got all that stuff going on. The you that's feeling insecure and inadequate. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. If you look real close here, you can see Moses is put on the brakes. You see skid marks in the text. I notice this all the time. He's like, there's no way it's me. I'm pressing in just for a second because you heard Kari allude to this. Tonight is a big night for us. Serving is a privilege, and I believe from the bottom of my heart that day as we read God's word that God is speaking, and we need some of you, lots of some of yous, to come tonight just to see what it's like on how to serve. Basically, there's three opportunities that we're highlighting to press in on. If you can hold a door, if you can hold a baby, or if you can hold a note. Those three. Like right now, there are hundreds of volunteers serving over here with babies and children. Tonight, if you could show up, we'll take you through the training, show what it's about. It's not a commitment, it's just intrigue. God's calling you to let that seat stop being a recliner and to actually get You don't have to do it every Sunday. You can rotate it in. Like you can do one Sunday a month, two Sundays a month. It doesn't matter if it's holding a baby. It doesn't matter if it's holding a door. I'm telling you, the larger a church gets, the smaller it's got to feel. And one of the ways it feels small is when people smile and are kind to guests. If you're interested in that, you could come tonight. And for those that can hold a note, I have this little, I have a, a wish And the wish is that some of those that are in the 915 audience could hold some babies. And some of you in this audience that can sing, because I've heard you, could jump into 915 and sing in the choir. Tonight, there's going to be an opportunity for those of you just to find out about that. It's no commitments. It's just a step, a step into this direction. And let me tell you why we push back. Some of you just glazed over. It's because of this. We've all built resistance. Like, we've grown comfortable We all get so comfortable just just sitting in the chair and then going back home. I want you to consider this on behalf of Moses. Ready? He's 80. Moses had no idea his best 40 years would be the next 40 years. That's when his story really starts at at this passage. I believe from the bottom of my heart, there are people in this room, your best five years will be the next five years, and it might be tied to you actually starting to serve. Moses responds, look at this. But Moses protested to God. This is us. You're pushing back. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? 
Who am I to lead the people out of Israel, of Israel out of Egypt? And to which God's letting him know, I'm not calling you because you're significant. I'm calling you because you got a mouth. Look at this. God answered, look, I will be with you. Moses, it's not about you. I'm choosing you. When it's about you, you've got all your excuses. You can bring up your past. You can bring up all kinds of stuff. It's not about you. It's the fact that I'm choosing you, verse 13. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and I tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me. Look at these pronouns. What is his name? Then what do I tell them? It's like, God, I've been tending sheep for 40 years. God, I... I don't speak Egyptian anymore. I'm sure the dialect has changed. God, those people, when they see me, they're going to remember what I did. God, I, I, I don't know what to tell them. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? What will I say? And God says this, verse 14, Moses, I am who I am. Just say that to the people of Israel. Tell them, I am has sent me to you. You know, you think about this, that's exactly what Jesus did. Remember when he said, before Abraham was, I am. It's a reminder that as we read God's word, I am not here today representing myself. When we read God's word, like myself, if I'm representing myself, who cares? I've got opinions. Everybody's got opinions. But when we read God's word, God is speaking. The I am is speaking. And yet Moses pushes back on this, verse 1. But Moses protested again, what if? What if they don't believe in me? Or what if they don't listen to me? Or what if they say the Lord never even appeared to you? Anybody in here ever been plagued by what ifs? I do it all the time. Like, what if are two simple words that are flooded with worry? What if is always playing through scenarios that never happen. What if it's like, it's horizontal. It's not vertical. God's calling him and he's throwing out a bunch of what ifs. Then the Lord says, all right, what's in your hand? a shepherd's staff, and throw it on the ground. So Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back, to which I agree completely, and the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail, to which I want to say, God, you grab him behind the head. But anyway, so Moses reached out, and he grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. God's all about building his faith right here. God does something next in the next few verses. He's like, all right, Moses, take your hand, put it inside your coat, pull it out, and it was covered with leprosy. He said, now put it back in and pull it out. And it was clean. God's like, Moses, I'm telling you, I'm calling you. It's not about you. It's about me choosing you. And you haven't seen anything just yet. See, God is forging this, this faith inside of Moses in this time with God. And something beautiful is going to come out of it. But Moses' brain kicks back in. Verse 10, Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not good with words. I never have been. I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, right? God, I st stutter. This next verse is beautiful. On behalf of any disability, on behalf of any, any hiccup that anyone has as an excuse, listen to what God says about that. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether or not people speak or don't speak, hear or don't hear? see or don't see. Isn't that I, Moses? Moses, since I made mouths, I can speak through yours. God has all the words, never stutters, never forgets. 
Verse 12. Now go. I'll be with you as, I, as you speak. And I'll instruct you in what to say. And you think he's got it. But Moses again pleaded. Lord, please. Send someone else. You see this like back and forth. This, the, all these excuses. And watch what happens. Verse 14. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. Why? Because Moses, if you think about it, is telling God what to do. God doesn't need anything from us, especially our advice. But God in this passage does something pretty crazy. It's like, all right, Moses, if you need some help, here's what I'll do. I'll send your brother Aaron. Aaron's going to go with you. Aaron will speak for you since you won't do what I told you to do. And God uses the pair to accomplish some great things. But think about this. Who was the person that gave Moses all the trouble? Aaron. Who was the one that built the, the golden calf? Aaron. In a real sense, Aaron was kind of Moses' Achilles heel for the rest of his life. And it's tied to him telling God no. Many in this room, you're finding ways to tell God no. Systematically, creatively, you've got excuses. Even on behalf of serving. Too comfy, I'm too comfortable already. My schedule's too tight. And, oh, we can build around all those things. Just don't tell him no. And it's not just the topic of serving. It's, it's anything that he tells you to do. The greatest cost to telling God no is spending the rest of your life wishing you'd said yes. Like, I bet Moses thought when Aaron turned this golden cap, man, why didn't I just tell God yes? And avoided the potential mess. I, I, I have no idea. I really don't. I have any idea what God is telling each of you to do today. But I know he's telling you to do something. And I want you to know, I say this a lot. If you're human, you're hurting. But if you're here, you're in the process of healing. You haven't come this far to only come this far. There are great, great things ahead, great things in store. Some of you just need to start serving because you've systematically been telling God no. And this is a day just like every other day that God may not be speaking through a burning bush, but he's speaking through his word. You watch the tension as you go back and forth and have all your reasons. He still wants you to serve. And tonight, I, I just want to encourage you to be here. It's not a it's not like a commitment. It's not a dotted line. It's just intrigue. Everybody in this room, most everybody can do any of those. Hold a door, hold a baby. Some of you can hold a note. I've heard you sing. This is a chance to utilize it. And I want to remind you this. This is why this message is so important. I can't stress it enough. Every Sunday in this room, there are people who do not yet know Jesus. Every Sunday in this room, there are people that are struggling and hurting. Every Sunday in this room, there are people whose loved ones are in this room who do not know Jesus. And when we start and they pull in the lot, and the first thing they do is they get a smile and a handshake. And this place that looks big feels small. And all of a sudden, they see a kid's area and see volunteers that are going above and beyond to love on their baby. And they're in this setting, and God's Word is open, and they get to hear 
I'm telling you, lives are restored. Marriages are healed. I'm telling you, like, like hope is given. Addiction, they start to diminish when people position themselves in a way that they hear God's word and want to act accordingly. Every Sunday, whether you like it or not, we are shaping the way a city views church. We've got to make sure they're seeing the purpose and the personality of Jesus. He came to rescue. That's his purpose. What was his personality like? Man, people wanted to spend time with Jesus. Even people nothing like him wanted to spend time with him. And the same should be true of this church. People in this room every week, you know, I don't know if I believe all that stuff. Not yet at least, but I do like you guys. You're pretty nice. You take care of my kids. If you could see the stories of how people eventually get to the point where they trust Jesus. I just want to remind you today, ready? 100 years from right now, every person in this room will be alive in one of two places, heaven or hell. It puts everything in perspective. So let's be the church. Let's come together. Let's remember that serving is a privilege. Father, thank you for today. God, I thank you for everyone that's in this room and the fact that you're calling us. Number one, you're calling us to a relationship with Jesus. You went to great lengths to establish this by sending Jesus, lived a perfect life and was crucified to deal with our sin, but also to show us how to live. But also, God, you've called us to another element, and that is to get together in groups, and to find a place where we can, we can be honest and upfront and encourage others, but you've also called us to serve. I pray for those in this room that are curious. They're intrigued. God, give them the courage to come tonight. And Father, I pray that as we come tonight and we see the opportunities to either hold a door or to hold a baby, perhaps hold a note, that you would encourage some people to start being the arms and the legs of this local church. And we would realize how much it matters every Sunday when people gather in this room. And I pray this today in Jesus' name.